This podcast is brought to you by The City Church in Mississauga, Ontario. For more information, please visit thecitychurch.ca. We hope you are encouraged by this message from our lead pastor, Frank Coulter. Good morning again. Now, I was backstage. I didn't hear the whole thing, but did my dad say something about me being old? I just feel like anybody who was born before World War II should not make age jokes. That's all that I'm saying. But we honor our elders here at the City Church. <laughs> all right. If you have your Bible, please turn with me over to Romans chapter 1. We are completing our series uh, this morning that we have called Hall of Faith. And what we have been discussing in the series is all the men and women found in Hebrews chapter 11, how they are celebrated and made a big deal of because they accomplished and did great things by faith. And then Hebrews chapter 12 says, look at this great cloud of witnesses, and then we should run our race. By implication, we should be running the race of faith. That they did all of these things, but then we also are invited into Hebrews chapter 11, as it were, so that we can live a life of faith. Um, and, and once again, it's all accomplishment. It's all about doing things according to faith in God. And so far in this series, we've looked at um, Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Sarah, uh, Isaac, Jacob and Joseph in one week. And then last week we talked about Moses. So if you missed any of those messages, you can catch up online through our podcast and then also through our church app. And this is actually the eighth and final week today. And we're going to be talking about King David's great, great grandmother and her name is Rahab. So let's start reading here in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. So we're going to be talking a little bit today about the gospel. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So what these verses are talking about for us that name the name of Jesus, that we say Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we're supposed to be living by faith in God. Now, as I've been saying in this series, that everybody who walks the faith of the earth lives by faith. Everybody believes something about life and then lives according and acts according to those beliefs. But what faith and how it's being described here in the New Testament is faith in God. So those of us, we're not just believing in ideas and principles that our faith, it's a relational term. Faith is a relational term. You say, well, I have faith in this person. What we're discussing here is faith in God, not just faith in ideas. And that God wants us to live this way all of the time by faith in him. Not a Sunday morning thing, not a church service thing, not a denominational thing. It is, I'm going to live by faith in God. And then Romans chapter 10 verse 17 says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So as we've been looking at these uh, men and women have been doing things where our, our faith should be growing and we should see and understand and have very practical application how to live a life of faith and how, how to live it out on a daily basis. And how it applies to our lives and how it can show up in everyday living. So, um, as I mentioned, we're going to be talking about Rahab this morning. And, uh, and I just love that in this chapter that Rahab 
is included. Now, we have uh, three women in the genealogy of Jesus found in Matthew chapter 1. Rahab is one of them. Ruth is the other. And then um, Bathsheba is the other. And so we have those three. So Ruth was a Moabitess. She wasn't one of the children of Israel. And then we have Rahab here who we're going to read about. And then Bathsheba who was famous uh, for messing up and committing adultery with David. Now, as I've been saying in this series, what's great about these men and women that we're looking at is that they aren't perfect. And so we can identify with them. We can uh, see ourselves in their story. Um, But it's very easy for us to forget a lot of times about the grace of God. It is very easy for us to forget about the gospel and how it's something that we, even though we are Christians, if you are a Christian here this morning, um, that we can sort of think, well, you know, the gospel, that's for baby Christians. And I sort of left that behind and I heard about Jesus and I said yes to Jesus. And then we kind of forget maybe about the grace of God and we we think, you know, I received God's grace and, you know, so I'm on my way to heaven. Um, But the story of Rahab reminds us how amazing the grace of God is. But then also when we receive the grace of God, God actually expects us to do something with the grace that we've received because God has given us his unmerited favor. That's what grace means. Unmerited favor. In other words, you didn't do anything to deserve it. So that means we never have done anything to deserve it. And then we never will do anything to deserve it. It is only grace. So let's read here about Rahab. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1. As we've been reading these first few verses. It says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. Talking about faith. By it faith. And verse 3. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. So that what is seen was not made of things that are visible. Skip down to verse 30. It says, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. Now, if you've grown up in church, you know, you've heard the story of the walls of Jericho, or maybe you've taught it to your children. Famous story of the children of Israel circling around around, uh, the city of Jericho was a walled city. And they circled around and then the walls fell because they shouted praise to God. And a footnote a lot of times that we leave out in this story is the story of Rahab. And she played a very key role um, in this story. In verse 31 tells us about it briefly. It says, by faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Rahab who? Rahab the Sunday school teacher. Rahab the worship leader. Is that who she was? Rahab the prostitute. Gave a friendly welcome to the spies. And she's here in Hebrews chapter 11 along with Moses and Abraham and Enoch and Abel and Sarah all these other people that we have celebrated and and generally speaking, we celebrate as heroes of the faith. But then here in, as we finish some of the detail here in Hebrews chapter 11, we have Rahab, the prostitute. I think this is so uh, great as we look at this idea of faith and have a proper understanding of faith that we finish up with this story. So let's go back um, to Joshua chapter 2, and we're going to read some of the details here of this story to help us to get a better understanding if you're not familiar with it. So Joshua chapter 2, verse 1, 
says this, And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim and spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And when they went, they came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring up the men that have come to you who entered your house. For they have come to search out the land. So the secret was not kept really well. That the spies were there. And then they knew where to go. And so the, the king is there finding out uh, where these spies are. But verse 4 says, But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at the dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly. For you will overtake them. But she had brought them to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax. And she had laid there in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords. And the gate was shut up as soon as the pursuers had gone out. So the story is the, the spies were there and they were in Rahab's house and the king knew that the spies were there. And so they obviously wanted to try to kill the spies so that their, that their city couldn't be in, invaded. And then Rahab, the prostitute, um, responds to the king. And how did she respond to the king? She lied. The prostitute lied. And as one of my Bible in the sc- uh, school instructors said, Really, lying was the, wor- the least of her problems at this point in her life. But I love that this story is in Scripture. I love that this story tells us the story about faith. They come in, and she hides the spies, and then they go to look for them, and they can't find them. And the story continues, verse... Um, Seven. And so the men pursued after them on the way to Jordan as far as the fords. We read that verse. Verse 8. Before the men lay down, she came up to the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us. And all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you, for we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea. Do you remember Romans ten seventeen that faith comes by hearing? What does Rahab have she has faith she heard about the red sea and that they walked through on dry ground so she heard about this story and now she's actually putting her faith in god in this moment she heard something about who god is and what he had done and then so we see that faith is growing in there so she she heard something and that she has faith Before you, when they came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. Verse 11. As soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you will also deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and my mother, my brothers and sisters to all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. So we can see right away one of the the, um, outgrowths of faith is she's actually thinking about those closest to her. 
It's not just, oh, I just, I have faith for me and now it's good enough because I believe, you know, that God worked this miracle. No, I, I have faith in God now, but I actually want my family to be saved in, in a very literal sense as we're going to see. Verse 14, and the men said to her, our life for yours, even to death, if you do not tell this business of ours, when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. And she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall, so that she lived in the wall. So we know with the walls fall that anybody who's living in the walls, their lives are going to be in jeopardy. Verse 16, and she said to them, go into the hills for the pursuers will encounter you and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward, you may go your way. The men said to her, we will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord, a red cord. And we could see that this is foreshadowing regarding the blood of Jesus. That this red cord is the thing that's going to save Rahab and her family. And it's pointing us toward Jesus. In this window through which you let us down, you shall gather into your house, your father and your mother and your brothers, and all of your father's household. Let's turn over to Joshua 6, and we'll see the end of the story. But to the two men who had spied out the land, Joshua said, Go into the house, go into the prostitute's house, and bring out... From there, the woman who had, had belonged to her as you swore to her. So the young men went, the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and her mother and her brothers and all who belonged to her. And they brought out all her relatives and put them outside of the camp. And they burned the city with fire and everything in it, only silver and gold and vessels of bronze and of iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. But Rahab, the prostitute and her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she has lived in Israel to this day as they were writing it. They're writing that in current times because he hid because she hid the messengers from Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. And then, as I said, Rahab became the great, great grandmother of David. But you see in the story, they keep referring to her. As Rahab, the prostitute. Now, as they were writing it in real time, she was there and amongst them. And she had obviously moved on because she was going to have children of her own. So she no longer was Rahab, the prostitute. But they keep calling her Rahab, the prostitute. And I'm kind of like, let it go, people. Let bygones be bygones. You know, I hope when we get to heaven, we're not like Rahab, the prostitute. You know, I just feel like we should stop saying it. But Hebrews 11 says it, and then here in Joshua, they say it a couple times. And I think it's really important for us to know, because it reminds us of the grace of God, that God wants to use everybody. And God is interested in a relationship with everyone. No one is left out from the love of God. You've never locked eyes with somebody. You've never met anybody that God doesn't love. And here in the story, they keep Rahab, the prostitute. In other words, Rahab with a past. Rahab with some deals in her past. But then Rahab, who had some deals in her past, however she got into that lifestyle. 
When she had faith in God and we see her put her faith in God and then act upon it, was then also interested in the people that were close to her. Taking this grace that she's going to receive from God and then, oh, you know, I, I, I want to care about my mom and my dad and everybody in our household. I want them to be saved too in a very literal sense. Didn't want them to die. See, when we become recipients of the grace of God, this is how we should feel about life. That it is this wonderful gift. And like I said, one of the definitions of grace is unmerited favor, that we don't deserve it. But the problem is for us, who are Christians or have been Christians for a long time, or followers of Christ, whatever name you like to say, that the potential is always there for us to become arrogant Christians. And those two words actually don't go together. To become a smug Christian doesn't go together, doesn't fit. Why? Because grace is unmerited favor. You never did anything to deserve it, and you have never done anything subsequent to saying yes to Jesus to deserve the grace of God. It is unmerited favor. But for those of us that follow Jesus, you know, we we, we look at the teachings of Scripture and then hopefully we're, we're moving towards living a moral life. And I think even just as a philosophical argument, living a moral life is better than living an immoral life. We can look at somebody who's destroyed their life, uh, their life by living immorally. And so it's good to, to live a moral life. I'm, I'm not downplaying that. And we can look at the Scripture and learn a lot of things about how to live a moral life. But we were never saved and we will never maintain our salvation by living a moral life. Like I said, it's good to do that. It's good not to destroy your lives and the lives of your loved ones by a sinful way of living. We talked about that briefly last week. But we always have to remember how we have a relationship with God is by grace and by grace alone. And see, we can get arrogant about a lot of different things. We can get arrogant if we, you know, we move our, our lives away from sin and we sin less. Not that we're sinless, but we sin less. And so we can kind of think, I am better than the people who do the sins that I used to do. Now, I'm better than them. Because I follow Jesus and I'm, I'm following after his teaching. And potentially, I can sort of go up the hill of better than and everybody else is down here. And Christians too, and once again, as I've told you, you know, I've grown up in church, Christians, they, they can get arrogant about a lot of different things. They can get arrogant about their doctrine. My doctrine is like better than anybody else's doctrine. But then if, if your doctrine is perfect, then you don't even need Jesus. And then we can get arrogant about the preachers that we listen to, that our, my favorite preacher is the preacher that everybody should listen to. Because my preacher is the one that's preaching the truth. Here's what I would say about all human preachers, and I'm including myself in this. None of us are completely right about everything. But the one we proclaim, Jesus, he is the perfect, sinless Lamb of God. And we can get arrogant about a thousand different things at church. Well, church style, and we sing these types of songs. And, you know, well, we sing hymns, or we sing the types of songs that we sing. Or our church is decorated like this. Well, our church is decorated like this. And our church, we dress like this. And at our church, we dress like this. And then all of these things could be points for us to become arrogant 
Christians. But the story of Rahab reminds us all that it is only because of the grace of God. Rahab, the harlot. And before you look down your nose at Rahab and the choices that she made, and she's a liar. And other than your last name, what were you? You know, Rahab the harlot, Rahab the harlot, Rahab the prostitute. We keep reading it and we think, I would never be a prostitute. I just want you to know that I'm educated and I'm sophisticated and I've grown up in Canada and I certainly would never do these things. And then we can move away from being grateful for the grace of God and just be sort of think, well, I guess I deserve it. You know, I come to church and I sing And I sing on key most of the time. And for those of you that harmonize, like I harmonize, I just want you to know, I'm adding to the worship service with my vocal stylings. Surely the Lord loves me more. No. Listen, I'm glad you can harmonize. We need people to be able to harmonize and sing on key. Surely the Lord loves me more because of... And the answer is always no. Listen, there's nothing that you can do to make God love you more, and there's nothing you can do to make God love you less. The character, from the character and nature of the love of God flows salvation. And this is this beautiful thing that we need to maintain a grateful heart for. So that what? So we could be like Rahab is like, well, you know, I have faith in God, but my mom and my dad and everybody close to me, I I want them to be saved as well. And here we are in December and it's the Christmas season and we're going to walk in the malls and we're going to sing about Jesus at the mall. So our attitude shouldn't be at the mall. These people don't actually know what they're singing about. I know what I'm singing about. The hallelujah chorus comes on and this person who doesn't even go to church, they're singing the hallelujah chorus in the mall. But I have such a deep revelation that when the malls are singing these songs and these hymns that I am walking around and I am truly the one who only knows. (laughs) No, we should think, thank God for the grace of God. Because I wouldn't know anything if it wasn't for the grace of God. I would have no relationship with God except for the grace of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 25 says, For the foolishness of God is wiser than men. Now God has no foolishness. God is not a fool. But it, the, the, Paul is trying to help us to understand something. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. God is not weak. But if God did have any weakness, it would be stronger than our biggest strength. And theoretically, God's foolishness would be wiser than any wisdom or knowledge that we would have. And so what is, what is the point Paul is trying to get across? 
There's no wisdom in and of ourselves. There's no strength in and of ourselves that has qualified us for a relationship with God. It is only because of God. Verse 26, for consider your calling, brothers, that you may not be wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing the things that are. Listen, so that no human being, no human being, but that's everybody, the ones that go to church and the ones that don't go to church. No human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus. Remember, we talked about that last week. Who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. How do we have wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption in Christ? It's something that God gives to us. It's the same grace by which God used Rahab. Rahab the prostitute. Rahab the one who was outside of the covenant of God. There's no reason for us to be boasting about our Christianity. It doesn't actually make sense. Because Christianity, following Jesus, is all about the story of God's grace. And the unmerited favor that he offers to his unmerited don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. You don't deserve it. Should keep us humble and grateful. Just to humble us in the most amazing ways. It should just cause us every day to be so grateful for the grace of God. So that as it is written, let no one, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So what are, we, what are we boasting about? How good of a Christian we are? And how we know the Christmas carols better than the other people? Better than those pagans walking the mall? We know the songs better than them. No, our boast is in the Lord. Our boast is never in us. Our boast is never in how good we are or how perfectly moral we are. Or how religious we are according to what somebody would say is religious. No, our boast is in the Lord. Our boast is in the Lord. If you've been in the game one week, if you've been in the game 50 years, thank God that you've been in for 50 years. But the thing that sustained you for 50 years is only the grace of God. But for the grace of God go I. I, I can never boast about how amazing I am. I'm only going to boast about the Lord. Very familiar portion of scripture. Ephesians 2 verse 8. For by grace have you been saved. Through faith. By grace. God's unmerited favor. And then what do we do? Faith. I believe it. That's what I do. That's my part. And there's no boasting about that. When the God of the universe offers me a relationship with himself. What should I do? Like, yeah, I believe that you are offering that to me. I receive the thing that you offer to me. 
It doesn't take much wisdom to do that. But that's our part. Our part is the faith part. And we've been talking about faith for eight weeks. But the beginning before us, the first step of faith that we took is to do what? By grace, you have been saved through faith. Let's keep reading. And this is not your own doing. It's not your own doing. It's not my own doing. What is it? It is the gift of God. It's the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. Where is our boasting? Our boasting is in the Lord. Our boasting is in the Lord. See, the grace of God is what we're thankful for. The grace of God is what we celebrate. And the grace of God is what we find in this story of Rahab. And it's, such, it's beautifully placed at the end of all of these stories that we have detail of. And it basically sounds like this. I just want you all to be reminded of the fact that in one sense, we are all Rahab the prostitute. The one who hasn't deserved what God gives. It is only by grace, through faith. This beautiful life of faith that we live. Faith in God, the one who gives me grace. The grace that I don't deserve. And then, what did, what did Rahab do when she got that grace? Which she had faith in God because what God had done. What did she do? Well, you know what? I want this for my mom and for my dad. And I want this for the people closest to me. See, coming up here in December 23rd, we have three services. And we don't have three services so that we can get a bunch of people who go to other churches to our church in that third service. We want people to come who don't go to church. We want people to come who have life issues. Because they're like you and me. We want people who are struggling in life, who are far from God. Why? Because it is all about the grace of God. And on the 23rd, we're going to be boasting about Jesus. And we want to tell people the story of Jesus. We're not going to get up on the 23rd. It's like, I just want to let you know. How amazing I am. And I'm a pastor. And I've gone to Bible school. And, you know, I just want you to know that I haven't done the things that you've done this month at the Christmas parties. I don't do those things. I just want you to know. Now, on the 23rd, we're going to be like, Jesus. Because of Jesus, God has given us grace. None of us deserve it. I'm not a Christian because I'm a perfect person. I'm a Christian because of Jesus. I'm a Christian because of the grace of God. The grace of God. Unmerited favor. I don't know. What, what am I going to say? What, what, are we gonna, what am I going to say to them? And this is something that everybody struggles with. You know, somebody that's struggling with life or far from God who doesn't go to church. And then, you're, you know, like everybody, like, uh, you're always telling us to invite people to church. I'm not sure what to say. Listen, we all struggle with this notion. We all struggle with this idea. People are like, I'm not sure I know enough. I'm not sure that I, if they ask me a question, I don't know how to answer the question. What am I going to say? 
And our expectation is that if we love people, God will use us to love people. If we think, you know what, I care about this person, that this person needs the unmerited favor of God, I'm expecting God to use me to help them. Well, I don't know this and I don't know that. Forget about what you know. Can you love somebody? You know, the scripture says that the love of God has been poured out in your heart. See, the prophets in the Old Testament, they struggled with this same idea. Jeremiah chapter 1, very famous prophet in the Old Testament. He says, now the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, ah, Lord, God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. See, and everybody, me too, we all have excuses. We're like, you know, maybe you should invite so-and-so to church on the 23rd. You know, they're talking about it. There's an invitation on your seat this morning. Well, you know, if I talk to them, if I ask them to come to church, they're just going to think I'm weird or I don't know what to say or I'm too young or in my dad's case, I'm too old. <laughs> or I'm too this or I'm not enough that. What did the Lord say here to Jeremiah? He said, I don't know how to speak for I'm too young. But the Lord said to me, do not say. I am only a youth. For to all whom I send you, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them. For I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord put his hand and touched my mouth. That's what we should expect. Well, I don't know what to say. Yeah, but I, think, I feel like we should be at least like Rahab. You know, I've got faith in God and I have, have, I have something. I have something about what Jesus has done for me. And so I think about my mom or my dad or the people closest to me. It's like you don't, you don't have to invite everybody in your neighborhood to come to church. But I'm sure that there's one. There's somebody that you're close to. And what are we going to do? Well, we're just going to expect God to touch our mouths. Expect God to help us to say something to somebody else. Because this is the result of faith. This is the result of knowing that I am living in a state of grace. I am living in a state of unmerited favor. I am a recipient of the goodness of, and love and forgiveness of God. Nothing to do with me, but I am just like Rahab the prostitute. And God has given me his grace. Another prophet, Isaiah, and we'll finish with this, said in verse 6, And the foundations of the threshold shook at his voice of him who had called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. So what are we doing when we're, we're, we're 
telling somebody about Jesus or we're inviting somebody to church. We're realizing already that God has done something in us and it actually isn't completely dependent on you. But you are just being used by God in this moment to say something to somebody, to love somebody, to care about somebody, to care about their life. Is there any way that your life, in any way that you can imagine for this moment, is there any way that your life is better because you know Jesus? Do you want to give an amen if that's true? So wouldn't that be true for somebody else? Yeah, but but what am I going to say? Well, here, same thing. he's, He's going to touch your lips. He's going to help you to say the right thing. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? God is saying, you know, who who will go? You know, the the fields, they're white unto harvest. But who am I going to send? Well, I think the answer should be us. And this is how the prophet answers. Then I said, here am I. Send me. Like I said, don't, you don't, you don't have to set up a platform and a microphone in your neighborhood, okay? And preach some something. I don't know. I don't know how people go in their minds. I'm talking about one person. Is there one person that you love that doesn't know about the unmerited grace and favor of God? Is there one person that you could think of? I'm going to say, yes, there is. What should we say? Lord, here am I, send me. Rahab had faith, and then it resulted in her family being saved. Same should be true for us. Let's just pray this morning. God, we're so thankful for your word today. We're so thankful for your grace this morning. We remember that we don't deserve what you've given us, Lord. And we are so grateful for it this morning, Lord. We're so thankful that our identity is in you for now and for eternity. God, we just pray right now in this season of the world, this season of life, that you would place somebody on my heart who I can love Because, Lord, you love them and you want to love them through me. God, we we put up our hand and we say, here am I, send me. Send us, Lord, to those that are far from you. Send us to those, Lord, that are struggling in life. Send us, Lord, to those that are full of shame and guilt. So that we can boast about you. We thank you for that today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you need prayer or would like to share how this message has impacted you, please email info at thecitychurch.ca.